Some insight on that tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
I want to say tonight that the soul of man should crave God himself. And it does crave God himself. You know what you're hungry for tonight worse than anything else? God. We uh, just came through the holiday, and uh, sometimes your body is hungry for some nutrition. The Lord made it where you can tell when your body needs some nutrition. But sometimes the only thing that's left, and it kind of you feel like, because you really like it, is the sweets. I've got a chocolate pecan pie over there. Oh, man, that thing is wonderful. And the kids wanted some chocolate chip cookies last night. Boy, that's good. But do you know what? When I'm hungry for some real sustenance and all I have is the sweets, I can eat and eat and eat and I'm not satisfied. You know why? Because the thing my body really needs, it is not getting from chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> you know what I'm afraid we do a lot of times? The thing we're really needing is God. And we start trying some emotion, something that will jerk some tears out of our eyes. And it feels good a little bit about like eating a cookie when you're hungry, but it never does satisfy. And we get something that gives us a thrill and an excitement. And you, yeah, man, you preach it, preacher. But it's a shallow thing. And it's a blessing, just like a cookie is a blessing, but it doesn't really meet your need. You know what will really meet your need? You and God spend time together. You open that Bible and read it and let him talk to you, and you have a time of prayer, and that will satisfy you. I shall be satisfied, the psalmist said, when I awake with thy likeness. When you get up there close proximity to him and see that you are a perfect 100% representation of him, you'll be satisfied. You'll be good. You will not need anything else. As I sometimes preach when I talk about that topic, I say, no wonder we'll throw our crowns at his feet. It will already be enough that I am like him. Amen. No wonder we'll do it. We'll be satisfied. You know what you can do right now to get the closest to satisfaction you'll ever get down here in bodies of flesh in this old wicked world is spend close time with him. A lot of close, intimate time with God. Now this great psalm uh, and pair of psalms opens with a simile, as they tell us in English class, of, the, of a desire that we can all understand. The heart, or the deer, panteth after water. Pant means uh, to breathe hard or quickly, as after exertion. And the psalmist's soul pants after God. You have understood a great truth if you understand you need God. Your day will never be right without Him. It should start with Him. He should be there present with you throughout the day, and it should end with Him. Your relationship to God is really all that matters. Everything else falls into place once you get that down. Now, it's obvious that the writer here is needy and afflicted, but he's near to help because he realizes and is striving for the correct remedy. Unfortunately, most downtrodden people look for physicians of no value and medicines of no real healing power. Medicine, as it is often practiced in our day, is a great illustration of this. Many of our medicines don't do one thing for your sickness. All they do is mask the symptoms. That's correct. And I will admit that I really like it sometimes when my <laughs> symptoms are masked. I am not going to pretend that that doesn't make me feel better. But it only does it temporarily. If I have a bad cold and I take some NyQuil, I am loving life, boy. I sleep <laughs> well when I haven't been sleeping well up before that. But all that does is mask the symptom. Guess what? When the NyQuil wears off, I'm still sick. Let me tell you about God. He fixes the underlying problem. The underlying problem is, as we've illustrated before, a big old hole in your heart in the shape of Jesus. And when that gets filled, you are whole. And as long as that is not filled, you have a hole in Good you. Point. And everything else you try to put in there just won't quite satisfy. 
It's like trying to eat sweets when you really need some veggies. And I hate to say that, because <laughs> sweets taste better than veggies. But sometimes those veggies are so good. I've heard ladies that are expecting a baby talk about how they love fresh fruits and vegetables. Undoubtedly, their body is telling them, hey, we need some nutrition for you and this baby. And all of a sudden, fresh fruits and vegetables are delicious to them in a way that they never have been before. So many times in life, the thing that you really need when you start getting some of it, you realize, whoa, this is what I'm missing. But so many times, even as we're getting the very thing that we need and realize that we need it, because of some cookies out there, because of some pie out there, we walk away from that which would really sustain us and help us because something will taste better for a few minutes. Oh, I will admit there is pleasure in sin for a season, but there's sustenance in relationship with God. That'll do you good a lot longer. Now, the inspired writer here, and I'm not sure who it is, uh, in Psalm 42 and 43, uh, he begins with himself, but he concentrates on God. Then he deals with others. If you're having problems with your own self in your heart, this is a good passage for you. If you and the Lord are not as close as you should be, this is a good passage for you. If you're having conflict with others, this is a good passage for you. Start with yourself. But concentrate on God, and then you can take care of others. And that's what we'll be talking about. Now, the God of the Psalms is a personal, tender God. He is not the abstraction of the philosopher. He is not the being that used to be, but kind of still is, of the theologian. Let me tell you how you know a theologian. A theologian is all the time excited about how great God used to be. In the original Hebrew, he was great. In the original Greek, he was great. And he can kind of help you now. But boy, in the Hebrew and the Greek in the ancient times, oh boy, when he parted the Red Sea, that now there's your theologian. Let me tell you the powerful Bible-believing Christian. That's the one that thinks he's here right now. I mean, it was okay what he did back then, but I got him right now. I don't need to see his home movies. I got him right now, and I can talk to him. Look out for the theologian and look out for the philosopher. You get in a relationship with God yourself. Amen, that's good. All right, so let's talk about his self, first of all. It's um, here in this word soul. The word soul appears six times in this passage. Uh, somebody said soul is that part of the human being that thinks and feels and makes the body act. So let's look at the soul. Now the soul defined is the individual, not just the body, but the seat of the emotions and the desires, the inner man, the heart. Daddy taught us for years and years, it's that part of man that makes him aware of himself. That part of you that knows how you feel, that part of you that can sing a song and the tears start flowing or sing a song and the joy start coming out, that's your soul. It's the individual. Now this soul is thirsty and panting. The difference between the worldly and the devout is that they both begin with this phrase, my soul thirsts and my soul pants. But the devout know to add these words, After thee, O God. There's a whole genre of music they call soul. <coughs> and if you remember the old TV show Soul Train? <laughs> that genre of music can tell you about all the things you're wanting. All the things you desire. And that is soul. But let me tell you about the soul of God's people. They know what it is they're really wanting is God. And the intimacy they're looking for in their relationships is really missing with God. If you take, get your, take care of your intimacy with God, your intimacy in your other relationships works well. 
works the way it was intended to. I know that because I've got the owner's manual of the one who created us humans, and that's what he says. My soul thirsts and pants after thee, O God. 1 Samuel 7, 2, uh, it says there was a time in Israel where they fell out of fellowship with the Lord. And this is the wording. And it came to pass, while the ark abode in Kerjath-Jerim, that the time was long, for it was twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. That verse scares me every time I read it. They were lamenting after the Lord, and they had been for twenty years. I wonder how many Bible-believing Baptists are sitting in a soft padded pew in a Bible-believing Baptist church and they haven't had a real close relationship with the Lord for decades. Here was God's chosen people and for 20 years their fellowship with the Lord was gone and they were lamenting after the Lord. Wow, what's going on there? Soul is thirsty and panting. Your soul needs some stuff. And if you don't feed your soul in spirit, it's just like going days and weeks and months without feeding your body. It's going to get weak. All right, uh, another thing is said here about the soul. In verse 4, it talks about a soul that is poured out. The psychiatrist talking about this uh, these days, this is, a, this is one of those popular psychiatrist psych psychological words is, being vulnerable. That is, you let your stuff out where it can be seen by people. Have you ever been with a crowd of people and you got real sick and you threw up and they saw you? <laughs> Wasn't that embarrassing? You know, what, you know what was happening? Your stuff that was bothering you was poured out. <laughs> I mean, you say that's gross. Hey, let me tell you something. That's a good illustration. There's a lot of people don't want their soul poured out. They don't want people to see what's bothering them. Now, I will admit, I don't know that we need to let everybody see everything that's bothering us. It probably wouldn't hurt to show a little bit more of it. But I know this. You may as well tell God everything Amen. that's bothering I've heard people try to illustrate people that just talk too much and give too many details and say they just vomited out all these details. I can see that. It probably wouldn't hurt us in some cases, some of us that hold back too much, to vomit out a few more details. But let me tell you something. With God, you better just let them all out, man. Just get completely vulnerable with Him. And maybe some Christian, maybe some family member that loves you and cares about you, it, it might not hurt for you to let them know some details. So they can pray for you and be a blessing to you about these things. But the soul is poured out here. 1 Samuel 1.15, Hannah, that great example of a godly lady, the mother of Samuel, it says, And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. She, she said, All right, Lord, I'm going to do business with you. I'm just going to tell you the whole thing. And Eli saw it, and even though he wasn't a perfect man, he recognized there was something going on between her and the Lord after, after he realized that she wasn't drunk. <laughs> I mean, she was being so transparent. She was being so vulnerable with the Lord that it looked a little crazy. Most people hold these things back. But she, went, she didn't care if she looked a little crazy until he thought she was drunk. <laughs> said, what are you doing drunk this early in the day? And when he figured out she wasn't, he said, man, she was doing business. She actually felt something. There's something going on. Psalm 62, 8, trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. By the way, it was when Eli saw how she really had poured out her soul that he said, all right, the Lord's going to bless you. It was when she poured out her soul that she got the answer. Psalm 142.2, I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When's the last time you and the Lord got together and you just told him every cotton-picking thing that's aggravating you about your wife or your husband or your kids or your friends or your church, uh, fellow church members or your town or your community or this country? 
and just told him, Lord, this is bugging me. I'm tired of being picked on about this. And just pour out the whole thing to him. Just like you've been on the phone with your friend or family member or somebody and just told them everything. Tell him. Isaiah 26, 16. Lord, in trouble have they visited thee. They poured out a prayer when thy chastening was upon them. Sometimes the Lord gets missing. You're just telling him what's wrong. And he says, I can't get him to talk to me. I'll start whooping him real good and he'll get talking. <laughs> hey, I got an idea. Start talking to him before he has to start chasing Amen. you. Tell him the whole thing that's bothering you. Get used to doing your complaining to God. Isaiah 53, 12. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. The soul is poured out. All right, I see something else about the soul here in this passage. The soul is cast down. The soul cast down means somebody got it and just threw it down. I've been a kid playing with a kid that was a little bigger than me and he got aggravated with me and just threw me down. I've been a little bit bigger kid that threw somebody else down. I've played football and threw somebody down. I've played football and got thrown down. <laughs> and you know what? When you get thrown down, wham, you hit the ground hard and you're kind of humbled. <laughs> And you're sore, it takes you a second to sort of get your head back about you and get back up and keep playing. The soul is cast down. Let me tell you what will happen from time to time in life. Something will grab your soul and just throw it down. Boy, it's true. And you just lay down there and hurt a minute. And you're a little embarrassed <laughs> that you were just so whooped. <laughs> and you're dizzy. And your head hit the ground and it's kind of sore. And you're, it just takes you a second to get your bearings after that. Uh, how many have been through something like that with your soul? It'll happen. Soul cast down. Here's a good one. Verse 5 and verse 11, it says the soul is disquieted. I looked up disquieted. It means afflicted with or troubled by anxious uneasiness or trouble or grief. Anxious, like the word anxiety. We have got a generation that is eat up with anxiety. Yes. The men real bad, but some women that I know are just absolutely crippled by it. They just almost can't even function. And occasionally men can get that way too. What's happening with this person's soul? Verse 5, Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God. When you've just been cast down, you just realize somebody bigger and stronger than you just threw you down. There ain't nothing you can do about it. So now what's going to happen? Are they going to throw me down again? Am I destroyed? Is it all over for me? And I'm worried, and I'm hoping it doesn't happen again, and I've got a knot in my stomach, and I'm scared of somebody that can do something that I can't handle, and there's, I don't have the strength to stop it. It gives the answer. Hope thou in God. Look at verse 11. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. Look at chapter 43 and verse 5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God. Three times he gives you that answer. When you get cast down, when you get disquieted, when you're worried sick and full of anxiety, hope in God. He can handle whichever one it is. The person bigger than you, He's bigger than them. The worry that you've got, he can, he's got it. And if he allows some bad things to happen for you, they're for your good anyway. You'll be all right. Hope in God. All right, that's soul. Now let's look at the second one. The first I said was dealing with the self or the soul. Now let's look at what he deals with secondly. Start with yourself. Why? Well, because that's your only way of even communicating with God. It's through your body, through your mind, through your soul, through you. Then go to God, and he gets the majority of the mention. The soul is mentioned six times, but God, or the Lord, is mentioned 14 times. 
more than double. God. All right, the first thing we notice about God, we've already referred to a little bit, God is panted after and thirsted for by his people knowingly and by the world usually unconsciously. They don't even know that he is what they need. That's true. But God's people know it. In other words, we have no excuse. We know what would fix our problem. We know what would fix our finances. In many cases, we even know what would fix our health. We know what would fix our family. And if we don't do it, there's no excuse. Because we know exactly what would. At least the world, poor things, they're stumbling around in darkness. But how much stupider for us to know what would fix it and not go to him and just pour out our soul and put everything on him and just hope in him. Because there are plenty of things that are stronger than we are. There's plenty of things that will cast us down and worry us to death. There's not one or two. There's not two or three. There's bunches that he can handle every single one of them. God panted after and thirsted for. All right, uh, notice the different ways he's referred to and the things we can learn about in this passage. Verse 2, he's called the living God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. You don't want the God of the philosopher that's some abstraction out there, some nebulous idea. You don't even want the God of most theologians who thinks he's some strong, ancient, stern, tribal deity of the ancient Hebrews. <laughs> or some guy that really knew Greek. Oh, Greek is such an expressive language and so good. Yeah, whatever, bud. When you're in hard times, you're going to be after God. You're not going to be worried about that ancient, whatever they think he was. You're going to want a friend you can talk to right now. I couldn't care less about what he said 3,000 years ago. I'm interested in what he's saying to me today. Now, don't misunderstand. I realize the Bible was written, you know, two or 3,000 years ago. I get that. But he talks today in English to me or whatever language you speak. He is a very present help in trouble. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, not a very ancient help in trouble. <laughs> Am I going to have to go be an archaeologist and dig in some cave to try to find some help? No. The Lord put it on my lap in a Bible that I can read now, today. You know what he is? He's the living God. He's alive right now. 2 Corinthians 3 for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the what? Living God. Not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. 2 Corinthians 6. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the what? Living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Notice how that sounds. Like he's walking right along with you in your day-to-day -day life now. Amen. I'm glad the word of God is not bound to ancient history. Mm -hmm. The word of God is not bound. It's wide open and free to walk with you today. And lay down beside you as you fall asleep tonight. Mm -hmm. And wake up with you when you wake up in the morning. He's a living God. I'll tell you something else we see about him. He's a God to be appeared before. Look at verse 2. When shall I come and appear before God? He doesn't say, now, oh boy, if only I lived back in the prophet's days when sometimes the Lord would audibly speak to him. Oh, if only I lived in Jesus' day where I could talk right straight to Jesus. Don't get me wrong. There were some real neat things that those prophets did. I don't deny it for a minute. There would be a wonderful thing to know Jesus himself and see his miracles. But let me tell you something. You can go to God and talk to him right now. And you can appear before him right now. And I hope you do each day in a manner of speaking. But... There's going to be a wonderful day where you're literally and physically and actually and eternally in his presence. Of course, now you'll have to, uh, you'll have to deal with some issues first. <laughs> uh, judgment seat of Christ won't be fun. But after you get those uh, issues squared away, <laughs> it'll be all bliss and glory after that. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. 
I know there are some that teach the judgment seat of Christ is all positive, all rewards. I don't know what to do with that phrase, whether it be good or bad. Amen. <laughs> if it's all good, then why does it say, or bad? <laughs> so I'm pretty sure uh, there's some punishments handed out there, Absolutely. too. Lord help us. All right, um, Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. So he's the God that's panted after and thirsted for. He's the living God. He's the God to be appeared before. Here's a good one. He's the God that is inquired after by others. Verse 3, it says, They continually say unto me, Where is thy God? Verse 10 says, They say daily unto me, Where is thy God? Let me tell you what this world is doing. Sometimes in a sneering, mocking way, they say, oh, you think you're right? You think you have all the answers? Where's your God? But sometimes, in a very sincere way, when they're needing some help themselves, they're basically saying, where is thy God? I hope we're ready to show them. I hope we're say, ready to say, hey, the Lord got me through the death of this loved one. The Lord got me through this trial with my health or my finances. The Lord got me through this divorce and the loss of a child or whatever whatever different thing you've gone through. That's a powerful testimony. If the Lord gets you through, inquired after by others. First Peter chapter 3, But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. There are going to be some people asking you, what is your secret when you've got the joy, 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 joy down in your heart? There, you've got something they don't have. Amen. He's the God to be inquired after by others. Another thing we read about God here is the house of God. Verse 4 says, When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise. The New Testament talks about the house of God. He says, but if I tarry long, he just has said that I hope to see you soon, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Um, when you go into the house of God, there ought to be some joy. You Amen. ought to be happy to see the Lord in there. You know how I know some Baptists have had a long time where they haven't been close fellowship with the Lord? As it said over there, the time was long and Israel was lamenting after God for it was 20 years. You know how I know? Because they get in the house of God and they don't feel any joy. They're doing it 100% out of duty. They're doing it 100% out of a habit, out of a ritual, because they're afraid they'll get beat up if they don't, and there is no joy in that kind of participation house of God, there's joy and praise. There's no praise in that kind of participation. You're just flat out scared of them. A lot of times we have too stern of a relationship with God. Amen. Sometimes it means that we misunderstand Him and other times it means we've just been living in rebellion against Him so of course every time we see Him it's a, it's a stern uh, encounter with Him because every single time we see Him we've just sinned yet again. And he's ready to hand out punishment yet again. Hey, I got an idea. Start improving. And you and the Lord start getting along better. <laughs> Other times, you just think he's standing over you just wanting to hit you just for having some imperfections. Both extremes are an incorrect view of God. All right, uh, here's a better, more positive view of God. He's the God that is hoped in, in verse 5, in verse 11. It says in verse 5, hope thou in God. In verse 11, hope thou in God. In chapter 43, verse 5, hope in God. Let me tell you something about our God. He's somebody you got some hope with. Yes. Now, no, he's not going to give you every single thing you want. I mean, I'd love to tell you that. <laughs> I remember I heard a sermon when I was a little boy about how he'll answer every prayer you ever have. So, of course, in my six or seven-year-old mind, I said, well, that's fine. I'll just ask him for the cool new toy I want. 
And I didn't get that toy that day. And I was so disappointed because that guy, preacher had said, you know, you get whatever you ask, whatsoever you request, you know, you shall, be, you shall have from him and all this sort of thing. No, I don't guarantee you get every single thing you ever ask for. But I'll tell you what you do have. You have some real hope in here. Uh, let's see, what have I got here on these verses? Romans chapter 8. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Romans 12, 12. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. You know why there's not much rejoicing? We don't see any hope. You know when you deflate and hit a depression? When you realize there's no hope of that thing you were wanting. <laughs> Ever been to a ball game? And both sets of fans really have some hope that their team will win. When it gets in the fourth quarter and it's obvious which team is going to win, the other fans give up hope and start leaving and going back to the parking lot and getting their cars. <laughs> you know what happened? They lost their hope. You know what I'm afraid a lot of Christians have done? They've lost their hope in God. This passage says hope in God. Whenever you lose your hope, you just pack up and go home. <laughs> Uh, if your hope is in God, there's no reason to pack up and go home. He wins in the end. All right, I'll tell you another thing about God that I see in this passage. He is my God. Verse 6 says, uh, oh, my God. Verse 11 says, why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Don't let him just be the God of the Christian singer and the God of the Sunday school teacher and the God of your pastor and the God of the evangelist and the God of ancient Baptist history and the God of the second coming and the God. He is your God. Make sure he is your God in your problems with your family and your finances and your health and your heartbreaks and your disappointments and the next thing you're shooting for, make sure he's your God. Talk to him every day, multiple times. Be sure he talks to you. Read your Bible every morning and if you don't read it again, at least meditate and remember what you did read. Let him continue to talk to you through that. Make sure he is my God. Uh, Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Verse 12, him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Boy, it sure is a blessing when he is your God. When uh, the Philippians were... And neglected Paul for a while and didn't give him anything and didn't send him anything and all of a sudden he got bragging on because he says your your care for me hath flourished again he said but don't worry about you know giving too much and you not being taken care of and you know how he addresses that he says but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus you know why Paul could say that with all confidence he knew the Lord took care of things oh yes when you know your God supplies all your needs, you don't have any trouble proclaiming that to others. He's come through for you too many times. You know that he can. My God. All right, I'll tell you another thing that he's called here. He's called the Lord. The Lord. Look at verse 8 here in Psalm 42. Yet the, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me in my prayer unto the God of my life. He is the Lord. And in the daytime, you know what you're getting? His loving kindness. Now, I like mercy. That's where I don't get what I deserve in the way of punishment. I like grace. That's where I get stuff that I don't deserve in the way of blessing. But I'll tell you what's even better than both of those two loving kindness. That's the kindness you give to somebody because you just love them so much. 
Mercy is great. Boy, does it turn the corner and start going the right direction. Grace is great. It goes even further in the right direction. When you get to loving kindness, you got mommy there, buddy. <laughs> you got daddy there. You got somebody that's going to take care of you and give you everything you need and a lot of stuff you even want just to be a blessing to you. And who's doing this? The, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You know, I don't, I don't usually think of that name for him in relation to being so good to me. I usually think of that name as really wiping out the enemy. <laughs> his power and his might and his huge bigness, his um, omnipresence as the theologians call it, and his justice and his holiness but the, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is also the one that gives me mercy and grace and loving kindness in the day. And at night, what do I get? I get songs. If you're in a place where you're singing at nighttime, you're in a pretty good place. Amen. And I don't mean because you're getting paid to. I mean because you want to. There's a lot of people singing in nightclubs because they're getting paid to, and there ain't any joy in that. They just have to make a living. But if you got a song in the night because you're just happy, you got a blessing. And you know where I get mine? The, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Lord. All right, another thing that's found still here in verse 8 is this denomination for him. God of my life. Make sure he's the God of your life. Your whole life life. We're bad to compartmentalize God, and he is our life on Sunday morning. Uh, there's an old country song, I don't even mind referring to this country song, because this was back before they invented sin. <laughs> it's called uh, The Three Bells, and it deals with a little, little kid named Little Jimmy Brown. And it talks about how little Jimmy Brown was born and the church bells were ringing announcing that a little baby had been born. And then it says that he found the love of his life and got married and the church bells were ringing because of his wedding. And then he died and a single bell there at the church was ringing to announce that someone had died and it was time for his funeral. <laughs> and a lot of people think of God at the time of their birth, you know, when they christen him or have a baby dedication or something, and at the time of their wedding, you know, they go before a preacher then, and at the time of their death, they have a funeral. And that's, that's God to them. <laughs> Let me tell you something. He needs to be the God of your life. He is the thing that gives you breath every day. He is the one that gives you your food every day. He's the one that keeps you alive. He is the one that gives you a reason, a purpose for living. And if you're living for any other purpose... All day, every day, you'll have disappointment. You ever get tired of being disappointed? Oh, yeah. Looking for love, looking for success, looking for joy. Let me tell you what to do. Fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll take care of all the other categories. Spend some time with him. Uh, even in the Old Testament times, God was supposed to be your life. Let's look back here at Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 45. Moses coming near the end of his life. It says, And Moses made an end of speaking all these words to all Israel. And he said unto them, Set your hearts unto all the words which I testify among you this day, which ye shall command your children to observe to do all the words of this law. For it is not a vain thing for you, because, look at it, it is your life. And through this thing ye shall prolong your days in the land whither ye go over to Jordan to possess it. Don't get thinking that God is a part of your life. He is your life. Nothing Good else Lord, matters. Um, I'm going to read back a couple pages back, chapter 30. That thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob to give them you know what he is 
He is your life. Be sure he's the God of your life. All right, I'll give you one more. I've had like 10 things about God in this passage. He's mentioned 14 times. Uh, God, my rock. Look at verse 9. I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Let me tell you about your rock. That's the thing you can count on. That's the thing you can lean on. That's the thing that uh, if your anchor gets a hold of that thing, it's, it's steady. Is God your rock? When the waves and the storms are going in life, do you have something that you can lean on? Oh, it's a blessing if somebody is your... Don't underestimate the person that is your rock in your life. Even, even outside of talking about God, who definitely, number one, needs to be your rock. But there may be somebody in your life that they're not as talkative. And they may not give you the wise little snippets of uh, the little pithy sayings, little short sayings that, you know, has a hard-hitting meaning to you. But even though they don't exactly have the words, you know they're there for you whenever you need them. Now, God Almighty, He has words. But I'll tell you what He also is. Sometimes you and Him just aren't exactly talking. Is that not true? Are there not times that He just lets the storm rage a little while? And just see how you're taking it. Sometimes you and him have broken fellowship, but sometimes you're in fellowship. He just it's just not time for him to be revealing anything to you. But even then, you know what you can count on? He's your rock and he's there. Uh, Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32, 18. Of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful, and hast forgotten God that formed thee. Oh maybe. Don't forget your rock. He doesn't forget you. Sometimes it might seem like it. All right, so we saw the soul. It's mentioned six times. We see God, the Father, God, the Lord, mentioned 14 times. Now let's look at others. All right, let's see. Psalm, Psalm 43. All right, others. They say, where is thy God? It's in verse 3 and it's in verse 10. They say. When you start dealing with others from time to time, they're going to start talking. And they're going to say, continually, daily, you're going to have to deal with people all the time. Continually. Daily. Over and over again. You know what they're wanting? They're wanting to see your God. Show him to them. Alright? Uh, another thing, verse 4. Here in Psalm 42, it says... When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God. This is the churchgoers, the multitude, but they go to the house of God. We're in the Bible Belt. There's a pretty good multitude of people that go to the house of God. There will be a multitude. You know what you can do? You can show God to them. You show God to other Christians. You don't know when another Christian might need you. Show him. They say, where is thy God? The multitude that went to the house of God. And then verse 4, the second part of the verse says, a multitude. The, ver the first multitude is the multitude that went to the house of God. The second is a multitude that kept holy day. This is all everybody in, in, that's celebrating Christmas. You know what we're about to have? We're about to have Christmas season. And a bunch of people are going to be celebrating holy day. We call it a holiday, don't we? We still do. A bunch of them aren't saved. You know what you need to do? You need to show God to the people in your church. You need to show God to the people out there in your community. And you know what? A holy day is a perfect chance to do it. That reminds me, I need to order some Christmas tracks in here and some Christmas cards. To get some of those in here so that we can show God around a holy day. A multitude kept holy day. But here's another group that you got to look out for. Verse 9. It says at the end of the verse, because of the oppression of the enemy. The enemy. Let me tell you what you're going to have out here in this world. You're going to have an enemy. And you need to show God to them. Verse 9 says, uh, the oppression of the enemy. To burden, I looked up this oppression. It means to burden with cruel or unjust impositions or restraints. To subject to burdensome or harsh exercises of authority or power. 
Sometimes you're going to have the enemy you've got to deal with. I wish I could tell you that if you just get saved and get right with God, everybody in your neighborhood will love you, all your family will be crazy about you, all your co-workers will think, isn't that great, they're a good Christian. <laughs> Let me tell you something, sometimes they're going to pick on you, sometimes they're going to mock you, sometimes they're going to make fun of you. You know what you need to do? You need to show them God. The enemy oppressed. I'll give you one more. Look at verse 10. It says, As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me, while they say daily unto me, Where is thy God? Mm, my enemies. You know what the Bible says about Hannah, the mother of Samuel? It says, Her adversary provoked her sore. You're going to have a personal adversary, and they're not necessarily mean to everybody else. But boy, they've got it for you. And they're going to be ready to beat you down. And they're going to know stuff about you. And it's going to hurt especially when it's mine, enemies. Look at the word picture found in verse 10. As with a sword in my bones. Can you imagine getting stabbed with a sword when the tip of that sword is digging down into your bones? I've never had that happen, but I'm pretty sure it's real painful. <laughs> and yet, that's what your enemy's going to be able to do, the one that knows you, the one that knows your weakness, and the one that knows your secrets. <laughs> Mine enemies reproach me. That word reproach means to find fault with, to blame, to criticize in harsh or vehement manner. They're in your face. They're telling you your faults. You know what you do? You show them your God. You know what the Lord Jesus did? There were some people that got personal against him. They took his words and used them against him. And they mocked him while he was on the cross. He literally physically couldn't do anything about it. And when he was reviled, reviled not again. But just committed his soul unto God the Father to take care of him. If you can do that, let me tell you something. You're showing them your God. All right, what have we seen tonight? We've seen the soul six times. We've seen God or the Lord 14 times. We've seen others mentioned at least five times. They're the ones that are always asking, where is your God? They're the multitude. Some of them go to church with you. They're a multitude. They keep holy day. They're the enemy. And even sometimes they're mine. Whether you're dealing with problems in your own heart, whether you're dealing with problems between you and the Lord, whether you're dealing with problems in you and others, let me tell you what the answer to it is. You get close to God. And you and the Lord spend time together, and you know Him intimately, and you make it where He knows the health of your countenance, and you know His countenance. You know when somebody's going through a hard time, you know where we see it? We see it on their face. When I'm going through a hard time in life, my family and friends and people that know me well, more than once they've said, oh, I can see it all over your face. <laughs> oh, that's where it shows is in the countenance. You be sure God and you know each other's face. All right, let's be dismissed.